1: This streamlined process will save you the time, money, and energy needed to concentrate on marketing and other creative content strategies before your item is in stock and ready for sale. Visit simoglobal.com to learn more, because a picture should be worth 1,000 keywords.
0: You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. Hey everybody steve simonson back again with another episode of the awesomers.com podcast series and uh you may be surprised to know but this is episode number 68 uh so all you have to do is go to osmerscom slash 68 and you'll see all the the magic behind the scenes uh, show notes and details uh sometimes we even throw a transcript in there for you which is uh makes it easy to search and maybe easy to copy and paste for your own usage Now today's an Awesomer Insights episode, and this is Steve's Axioms Part 2. So in episode number 58 of the Awesomer series, I gave my first half of my axioms, and today I'm going to give you Part 2 of those axioms as well. I want to call your attention to uh, the idea that Insights episodes are where an expert, uh, or at least me proclaiming myself as an expert, comes on and shares some of the, the insights and some of the tips and hints. And this is one of those uh, types of episodes. So uh, in our first uh, part of this series, by the way, this particular episode, we talked about the first 11 axioms that uh, I've shared. And I think those are very, very important. So if you're listening to this, it's not that you won't be able to get uh, anything out of this episode if you haven't heard the first one. You certainly will. You'll just you'll count from 12 to 22 Which means uh, it may seem a little out of sequence to you. So if you want to get the full context of this episode, be sure you listen to awesomers.com slash 58 first, and then uh, this number 68 will line up and sync up just fine. Now, if you don't, uh, carry on, no problem. You'll still get, I think, just as much out of this episode, just understanding why we're starting at the number 12. So uh, number 12, without further ado, is I put my name on it. And what does this mean? So this is this is part of a cultural thing that I try to instill, and it's certainly something I believe. When I say I put my name on something, I, I, I mean that on just about every action that I do, and it really should be every action. So if if I'm making a phone call to someone, I put my name on that call. If I'm making an email to somebody, I'm putting my name on that email and and I mean this both figuratively and literally, but mostly figuratively in this case so sure, when I'm uh, putting an email, I clearly put my name on it I'll sign it or whatever. I've got my little uh, footer bit that you know you paste in and uh, what do they call that anyway, the little piece at the end of the email um, and the the reality is I don't that that's less important to me than the spirit of what I'm trying to get across so if if I'm doing something, whether it's interacting with a colleague, with a vendor, uh, with a customer, it doesn't matter where the interaction is coming from or how the interaction is being managed. Right, the mechanics of in person or email or Slack or messenger chat or phone call, none of that is none of that's uh, relevant. What matters is, you know, when I put my name on it then I should be proud of that interaction uh, in the best way that I can be. So uh, again, to dive in just a little bit on this, what does this mean? When you think about this concept of putting your name on it, this means that when somebody comes back to you and says, hey, look at, uh, look at this video of you, you know, just pretend that you know some, some satellite somewhere, I'm sure the NSA has satellites following you every day, they got this, this interaction with you, and let's just say you were rude to a waiter, uh, let's say that you are you are mean to one of your team members or let's say you lost your temper with you know a vendor or someone uh, that's you putting your name on something and if you're not going to be proud of that interaction I think you really should take a step back and think about why you know in my view of the world the way we behave is a very important thing because it, it it's the foundation of how you want other people to treat you, right? The good old golden rule, treat others as you want to be treated or, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, I think is the more appropriate uh, quote. But the point is, if if you really want that golden rule to be in place, then you better treat people right. And, and you should also do your level best effort. And I'll give you a quick story. So I had a, uh, a, an executive worked for me. And he's very smart guy, very bright guy. But when I asked him for a particular report, he would just kind of call it in. It, it just um, he didn't even half ass it. He quarter assed it. It was a it was a real pain. And so I, I would coach him and I would say, hey, listen, you know, I'm, the purpose of this report is, you know, blah, blah, blah. And this is why it's so important to the organization. And, you know, so I'm trying to do my part in explaining the the purpose and the nature and the logic behind it. This is not just busy work that I decided to, uh, you know, put somebody on. I don't have somebody go dig a ditch and then fill it in and dig another ditch. Uh, It's, you know, there should be a purpose to what we're dealing with there. And so, but he just wasn't getting better. So the next time he turned in the report, I just looked at him and I said, hey, is this your best effort? Did you put your name on it? And he's like, "Uh, uh, you know, let me just take another look. And again, this is a talented, smart guy that I respect and and I like genuinely. But I just ask him in in that that same way, you know, is this your best work and did you put your name on it? He's like, yeah, let me go see if I can tune it up a little bit. So he comes back after some, you know, short period of time elapsed. He's like, okay, you know, here you go. And I'm like, is this your best work and did you put your name on it? Just exactly the same question. I haven't even read it. Um, and and by the way, he emailed it to me. He's asking for feedback. And I had not read it yet. And I just asked him kind of in a leading way, is this your best work? Did you put your name on it? And so he's like, uh, you know, let me just take one more look. And so he, he went back in. Uh, he emailed it again. He came and he kind of a little bit exasperated. came back to me and he's like, all right, you know, you know, that's, that's as good as it's going to get. That's it. And... Then I let him know, okay, well, now that you've said you've done your best work, now I will read it. More or less, I had implied that uh, I'd read it before, but I hadn't. Now, I'd never said I read it, but the point was, I told him, I said, this is when you submit your work to me, when it's your best work and when you put your name on it. Don't waste the time for either of us sending in anything that is less, you know, is second best or not your level best work. And it was, a, it was an important teachable moment because, you know, I shouldn't have to push anybody in my organization and they shouldn't have to push me or push each other to put our name on it, to do our best right off the bat. And I want you to really think about you doing your best right off the bat. Don't hesitate. Don't, don't delay for a moment uh, that effort to put your name on it from the very beginning. So I hope that is instructive. I really do believe in it and I highly encourage this to be a part of your culture because if everybody is proud of what they do, like It could be an interaction with the customer. When you look back at the chat transcript or the email and and your your team member, your colleague, your partner, whoever's reading that, if they see it and they're like, Ugh, I could have done a little better, then they, you know, they have some responsibility and accountability to you. And by in ingraining this idea of I put my name on it every time every interaction it's a better way of living and it's a better way of cooperating with each other and it's a way to hold each other to the same standard if you in fact put your name on it you should be able to hold your your colleagues your boss your partner whoever to the same standard that you expect to be held to by putting your name on it and doing your best work all right I hope that makes sense now, as we look over to axiom number lucky 13, this is axiom 13, uh, it's, it's very simple uh, to say and uh, maybe a little more subtle in practice. So I'll, I'll tell it to you right now. Avoid the opposite of good, right? So uh, a little wordplay there. But it's too often we get ourselves in situations that we don't like, and I call them the opposite of good. You know, it, when you find yourself and – you know, maybe the marketing budget was overspent, that's the opposite of good. When you find yourself in a situation where, you know, you have to let somebody go or somebody quit unexpectedly, that's the opposite of good. When you find yourself, you know, on the, the you know, pressure of a financial decision, maybe you overextended yourself on inventory or, you know, you uh, run short on payroll, that's all of that's the opposite of good. And we, we get ourselves focused on, you know, this is negative or this is bad or uh, we, we find it's so easy to, you know, start blaming and start worrying and, and just really wringing of hands. And to me, if we just start out with the premise that we want to avoid the opposite of good, right? So that's we don't want to avoid the bad there. That means by default, we want the good, right? The old uh, uh, transitive property helps us out there. So if we're trying to avoid the opposite of good, we have to avoid the bad and take that out. So that means any of those decisions that are going to lead us down the bad path or any uh, procrastination that would result in the opposite of good or any decisions that may be uh, questionable. Uh, maybe you're trying to rush through um, a new hire process. Maybe you're trying to just you know try something and, and, and again, you're not you're not doing quite enough to make something uh, adequate uh, or or ideally good. It's more likely to turn out as bad. So you want to avoid the opposite of good. And again, this is this is not a breakthrough area, right? Where I say, hey, don't do bad stuff or you know avoid bad outcomes. This is seems like it's pretty obvious. But when we twist it to say avoid the opposite of good it really does put us in focus of, oh, well, if I don't want the opposite of good, I better focus on getting the good. And again, this pervades every part of your thought process, your organization, etc. All right. So axiom number 14 is, oh, it starts with the word is as well. Axiom number 14, is the juice worth the squeeze? And so this is a, a It's a fun little way to say, you know, is this effort worthwhile? If you're going to have to burn a ton of calories to launch this new ad campaign, can that ad campaign rationalize and justify the amount of time you have to put into the the effort, the work? And this is especially important to quantify and evaluate different times of different resources as having different values. So what do I mean by that? Uh, If you're the, you know, the key decision maker in a particular subject, maybe you're the business owner, maybe you're just the leader of marketing or just the leader of the operations. And by the way, I I don't say just to diminish it. I'm saying if you're responsible for that individual area, that sole area, then you're going to be focused on making good marketing choices or operations choices. Whereas if you own the whole business, you got to make sure that you're measuring the juice and the resource time across the entire organization. So as an example, if you own the business, your time is probably more valuable than somebody who's making graphics. And again, graphics need done. It's a talent, but it's widely available talent, right? And so if you're going to spend your time making the graphics for the company, that's probably not a great utilization or allocation of that resource. That resource in this case is your time. The same goes if you are the um, you know director of operations, and you're you're running and you're filling out shipping manifest yourself, right? There's probably somebody else, whether it's a, on a gig basis or a full time basis or even a part time basis, that somebody else could do that work. If you spend your time on bookkeeping or on cr- making graphics or you know making videos or doing social posts, and that's not your core job, that's not your core competency. I think you're misallocating the resources. So that's number one. Make sure the resource that is assigned to the task is the right resource, right? So that, that helps you ensure that the juice, in fact, is worth the squeeze. The other thing, just from a very strategic level, you have to ask yourself, if this idea, whatever harebrained scheme you've got cooking up, if this really works, is it going to be a big enough payoff to justify the time and the energy uh, maybe money that it requires to pursue this particular idea. So as an example, I, I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs and they're like, hey, I've got one brand going, um, I'm selling on, online, Amazon, eBay, whatever. And they, they get excited because they're like, well, this was pretty good, uh, pretty easy. I, I got some things going, I'm selling whatever it is, a million a year, five million a year, 10 million a year. They're excited and they're doing well. And then they immediately say, well, you know what? I should just make more brands. And you really have to ask yourself if if you're going to try to follow the same formula and you have to do all the work, is that juice worth the squeeze of that new brand? What's the likelihood that new brand will be as successful as the prior brand if you're just purely splitting your time between the, the places? And what's the chance that you're your lack of attention on the first brand will cause it to decline in some way. Chances are probably good. So I want you to think about is the juice worth the squeeze in a very strategic sense. Don't lose track of the fact that there are so many times where entrepreneurs just think that we have to do the work ourselves. We're obligated uh, or perhaps it's just because you know we have to do it at that moment because we don't have somebody else to help us with it it's probably worth spending the time to solve that long-term problem versus just continuing to do your own bookkeeping for example by the way it's a pet peeve of mine people who are wasting their time doing their own bookkeeping when there are so many valuable and viable resources for a relatively low amount of money and you know too often people go oh but if i could save 200 a month or 400 a month you know whatever then you know, that's all money in my pocket. And I tell you, that is uh, penny-wise and pound-foolish. Your financial uh, house, getting that in order is so, so important. And you know I've talked about it on the past if you're a, a regular listener. So don't waste time on that stuff. The juice is not worth the squeeze for you to do your own bookkeeping. You should review monthly um, or perhaps more often if it's available, your financial statements, cash flow, PL, things like that, that is worth the squeeze. That's where you can look at it and see the results of the business. And then you can say, well, you know, we've got to raise our price, our margins getting squeezed, or we've got to squeeze out this, you know, Amazon uh, cost for storage, you know, and move some stuff into a 3PL. That's where the money and that's where the strategic resource is so important versus you just worrying about getting the, the next bookkeeping, you know, uh, entry in and you're like, oh, no, well, I'm going to get the, I'll download it from Amazon, and I'll use you know uh, some of the plugins that you can use to grab it. You're you're still wasting a bunch of time on that, I suspect, or things like that. Even if you're not doing your own bookkeeping, there's some example of something you're doing right now, probably that the juice is not worth the squeeze. And I'll I'll be honest with you, I've looked at some of the things that I've got in my um, bag of tricks, so to speak, and we're gonna just dial some of those down. Because I, I just, I'm too busy to do it all. And uh, even as I hire people to help, it's still, you know, uh, as I said in the first episode, every upgrade is a downgrade at first. And, uh, you know, it's, it's too much to do at one time. So even myself, you know, I get a little ahead of the curve and then I got to dial it back and make sure that I don't, I'm not going to drive myself nuts and make sure that we can fulfill the, the vision of some of the things, some of the core needs that we're working on. Okay. One of my favorites, beware of boomerang delegation. All right. Have you ever delegated something to somebody only to have it rear its ugly head back to you a few days later Uh, and, and more or less where you have to do the job? And I swear, this has happened to me many, many times. And some of the boomerang delegations are because I didn't set up the The original delegation and the task management properly and some of them are lack of uh, organizational sophistication or resources and those are you know that's kind of my responsibility No, no no dissing my people but sometimes it's just like people are passing the hot potato from one to another until it bounces back to you i know i'm mixing metaphors here but imagine this delegation it's a big boomerang and you've thrown it and i'll give you an example so I don't remember the exact thing. I think I said I needed some sort of financial data or financial input. Um, And so I talked to a key executive and um, uh, he said, yeah, yeah, um, you know, we'll get on that. We'll get it back to you. And then he delegated it to, you know, his next in in line who would be the logical, um, you know, kind of owner of that particular responsibility. And then that person uh, found one of the people on his team and and assigned that person uh, the, the responsibility to get this uh, financial detail done. Now, that person who's three away from me then called me up and said, hey, how do I do this financial thing? I, I got this assignment from so-and-so. <laughs> that is the ultimate boomerang delegation. And I should have been wearing a helmet because that one smacked me so hard. The, the, the fundamental part of this puzzle is by establishing a proper resource and a proper accountability for each task, you can avoid some of these boomerang delegations. If you've ever had a boomerang delegation, I know that you are chuckling, if not rubbing the back of your head a little bit going, oh yeah, that hurt. That hurt bad. So remember that you know boomerang delegations happen to any of us and you, your mission should be to avoid these things and to be aware of them by setting up the the task management or the accountability in advance, and when you set it up, you should basically ask questions like, "Do you have all the resources or the 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 skills necessary to accomplish this goal?" If they say no, then say, "What are you missing? What skills or resources are you lacking?" And if they say, "Well, I just don't know what you're talking about, so I'm going to have to go ask people," that's a problem. That's that's a leadership problem, not a you know delegate. A delegate problem, right? The person you're delegating to is not responsible for not having the skills or resources. That's you as the leader or whomever is uh, asking for this, this delegation to happen. So I hope that makes sense. You know, when the, when the resources and the skills are in place, when there's appropriate accountability, those boomerangs should not swing back at you. And I hope that you can avoid some boomerangs in your future as a result of knowing about this. Axiom 15, beware of boomerang delegation. Now, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about a little bit more uh, of my favorite axioms Then these things really should guide you towards making your business better, faster, and smarter. We'll be right back after this.
1: Catalyst 88 was developed to help entrepreneurs achieve their short and long-term goals in e-commerce markets by utilizing the power of shared entrepreneurial wisdom. Entrepreneurship is nothing if not lessons to be learned. Learn from others. Learn from us. I guarantee that we will learn from you. Visit Catalyst88.com because your success is our success. A giddy up. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast.
0: Okay, we're back everybody. Uh, and here we are on the Osmers podcast episode number 68. As always, just go to slash 68 to see the the nitty-gritty behind the episode details here. Now, we're on to axiom number 16. And again, this was one of those that may sound simple, but it's got so many layers. And this one says, if it was easy, anybody could do it. Right? If it's easy, anyone could do it. So, believe it or not, as trite as that may sound, I often remind myself of that and my team, I remind my team of that and they remind me of that as well, right? As we're struggling with things that are very, very difficult, uh, often we call them impossible problems, then we say, you know what, if it's easy, anybody could do it. Let's just take a deep breath and remember, you know, this is not just a slam dunk uh, or a layup or whatever, uh, you know, a, a simple analogy would be. Truly, If you're doing something that, again, we often use the terminology, an impossible problem, then it's going to take a little bit of time to figure it out. So some of the impossible problems that we solved in the past were things that literally everybody we would go to, external resources or industry experts, and they would say, that's impossible. That will never happen. And we're like, yeah, but we think it could happen. And they're like, impossible, not going to happen. And we're like, all right, thanks for not helping. Uh, and, uh, and then we just set about to trying to figure out how to solve these impossible problems. And honestly, you know, every problem probably has a solution. Uh, on some level, every problem does have a solution. And so we have to really think about that. And we have to give ourselves the permission to not get too whipped up into a lather and too stressed out. Because really, if it was easy, then anybody could do it. And so, you know, it doesn't matter what business you're in. If you're in the service business and you're struggling with scheduling or hiring or whatever, just know that, you know, the, the better you get at it, the, the more of a moat that you build around your business, the more defensible that business is. If you are an e-commerce person or an Amazon seller and you're selling products on Amazon and then you're struggling to get reviews or you're struggling to, to get the product to launch um maybe you got some supply chain issues you're worried about tariffs all, all the you know sky is falling kind of stuff that happens if you read facebook message boards the 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 people who will not succeed are the ones who are constant constantly chicken little they're they just honestly they don't have what it takes if their number one response to every change in business is, oh my gosh, this is too hard. Oh, it used to be easier. No, the good old days. And by the way, most people who talk about the good old days weren't even around during the good old days. They just heard pale about the good old days. And I could tell you from deep, deep experience, every time we look back, we, it's easy to say, oh yeah, that was the good old days. But during that time, it was tough. It was brutal. It was hand-to-hand combat. It was just like any other time. But looking back, we kind of glance over that. We forget about some of the the blood, sweat, and tears that were in that moment. And that's, I think that's just human nature, right? We kind of gloss over those things. The point I'm trying to get to is that, you know, if we remember that when we're in the moment, it's not supposed to be easy. And that truly, if it was easy, anybody could do it. Therefore, what value do we add? And I talk about this general uh, analogy. If you just go to China and you say you're going to be a private label seller, and you just find a you know a, a some poor poorly made product, some just cheap tchotchke and you decide to stick your own label on it, and you think that's going to make you millions of dollars while you sit you know on the on the couch or in the pool, and you're just not being realistic. It truly is not ever going to be that easy. And anybody who tells you otherwise, well, I'll just tell you they don't know what they're talking about, or they're trying to sell you something. Uh, If it was easy, anybody could do it. It's not easy. That's the point. All right, let's talk about axiom number 17. This one was provided to me by my daughter when she was in kindergarten, which was a long time ago. And it says, you get what you get and you don't throw a fit. Now, I want to just, even though that is literally from, that's what her, her kindergarten teacher told her. And that's what she told me. I don't remember what the issue was, but more or less, she just said, dad, you get what you get and you don't throw a fit. And I said, you know, how, (laughs) what sage wisdom from a five-year-old? And this is a pretty good reminder that, you know, everything that we do, we put, we should put our name on it. We should do our level best and we should expect no less from those around us. And if everybody's doing their thing, then we, we, we shouldn't lose our temper, and this, again, this is somewhat about a behavior. If you lose your temper and you, you know, yell at somebody, you swear at them, goodness sakes, if you call them a name or something like that, talk about lack of professionalism. That's, that's insanity to me. I, I can't imagine. I think you should, you know, part of putting your name on it is behaving in a way that is, is, uh, appropriate and reasonable and certainly professional. And so when I say you get what you get, you don't throw a fit When you go into a meeting or you go into a situation and maybe you get some unwelcome surprise, that doesn't give you permission to act like a jerk. It doesn't give you permission to turn into an a-hole. I do not like dealing with a-holes. When I find that, you know, if I go on a date and the woman is mean to the um, waiter, that is the end of that. that. It just, it's inappropriate. Even if I'm dissatisfied with the waiter's service, I'll remain cordial I may ask them for whatever would remedy the situation, but I'm not going to be mean to them. It's, it's just, you know, as humans, we should expect uh, that golden rule to really pervade all things that we do. And I think that fully includes a business, including if you own the business. If you are a jerk, if you are mean um, in any capacity, it doesn't matter if you own the business or you work within a business, if you are mean to your colleagues, you're not going to get good uh, responsiveness from them. You're not going to get good cooperation from them. If you're mean to your vendor, why would they want to collaborate with you? Why would they want to help you? You know, If you're mean to anybody, you should not be surprised when they don't jump out of their seat to try to help you uh, when you need it most, by the way. So this idea of you get what you get and you don't throw a fit, it means take the inputs, take whatever the the situation is, maintain, you know, a calm and professional demeanor, and then figure out what to do from there. If the result was unsatisfactory, fine. Size it up, rationalize the the situation with, not rationalize it, but um, break down the situation on how it could be improved, or, you know, if this is the best it's going to be, then forget about it. But you don't react to it, in my opinion, in a negative or unprofessional way. You certainly shouldn't lose your patience and you shouldn't treat people uh, in any other way than you should expect them to treat you. That golden rule is you know, pervasive in, in all axioms, I think. So uh, again, my daughter's advice from kindergarten still holds true today. You get what you get and you don't throw a fit. And if you find yourself uh, throwing fits or being grumpy or just being a, a jerk to people, then you need to take a step back and you need to do some self-reflection uh, and introspection because you need to fix that behavior. It's, and, and if you're not going to fix it, then you join the basics. You're no awesomer, right? Awesomers are you know people who want to break the paradigm of normal. They want to be better. Normies are like, hey, we're, status quo is fine. We're just along for the ride. And basics are the ones who are jerks and a-holes to everybody let's don't don't fall into that camp you don't want to be in that that group it's not an esteemed group to be hanging out in believe me geez now i say believe me i sound like that crazy politician Uh, whether you like him or not you gotta you gotta admit there's some uh, craziness there okay so axiom number 18 uh something is better than nothing now this sounds again almost trite right? Almost trite. And what I mean is when you, when you find yourself in developing an idea or a concept, if you're trying to articulate it, putting something down on a piece of paper is better than nothing. Starting with something is better than starting with nothing. If you are trying to make a new product, doing some product research is obviously better than doing no product research. Uh, when you're trying to launch the product, doing some kind of marketing is better than doing no marketing, even if it's not perfect. And this, this again, we talked about in the the first half of this uh, particular episode, the part one, uh, at slash 58 that you know we we don't want to have perfect being the enemy of good, and something truly is better than nothing when you are trying to iterate and make your business better and we're going to talk more about that in a minute so deliver something start with something don't try to skip to the end that's usually not going to work out very well deliver something ask your team to deliver anything and start with that even if it is not at the optimal level and that takes us really right into number 19 iteration is the key to progress. So when you think about this concept of iteration, I want you to think very carefully about, you know, what we just talked about, that something's better than nothing. When you start with something, all you have to do is incrementally make that better. So if it's a product, maybe the first version is not perfect, but incrementally you just make it a little better, just a little better. Um, if it is a, uh, A process or procedure you're writing. Start with something, right? Something's better than nothing, and then iterate so that you make some progress. In my humble opinion, thinking in terms of versions and, you know, you could say, hey, version 0.5, it was just a swag. It was our best guess. We just started with version 0.5. And then, you know, we got a little better 0. 0.7, 0. 0.9 and all right, 1.0, this is pretty good. Um, whether it's a product or a piece of software or a process, it doesn't matter. Once you're kind of that, you know, you've done a couple iterations, it's, it's better. And at version one, you're probably, hey, this is all right. This is, I'm satisfied. This works. But by the time you iterate a few more times and then you hit version two, you'll look back at version one and go, whoo, that's kind of embarrassing. And I'll be honest with you, you'll be able to do that with this podcast. I suspect, this being episode 68, we're more a little more than a third of the way through. I suspect the next third will be better than the first third, and the final third will be better than the second third. That's just the nature of humans, that's the nature of experience, and that's the nature of iteration. And Axiom 19 is, it's happening right in front of you. Right. Again, this podcast was not designed to be some giant professional production, although the guys do a great job with the audio engineering and you know they do a video version as well. They're working really hard to make it as good as we can, but absolutely, we're going to get better and smarter as we go. Iteration truly is the key to pro- progress. And I want you to think along that line that just every little thing you do, just one little increment, one little dial, One notch extra will give you that opportunity to make a lot of progress over time. I think a lot of people struggle with this idea of taking a giant leap because it looks so far away. But if you just take little small steps, you're going to get there anyway. And by the way, the time is going to pass anyway. You know, we're all impatient or many of us are impatient and we're like, I just want it now. Oh, immediate gratification. Uh, instant gratification, sometimes they call it. I just would tell you, the time is going to pass either way and you'll be a lot more sane if you just think about it and how to take these small incremental iterative steps forward. So we're going to take another quick break. I want you to pay close attention to this sponsorship ad uh, and, and maybe even go check out the site. These are important. It's important that uh, our sponsors get your support uh, to keep this thing, uh, this pirate ship floating, as they say. And uh, we'll be right back after this. Empowery, the name says it all. Connecting
1: e-commerce entrepreneurs with great people, ideas, systems, and the services needed to stay business dynamic and to grow. Empowery is a network, a cooperative venture of tools and resources to make you better at what you do. Because we love what you do, we are you. Visit empowery.com to learn more. You're listening to the Awesomers podcast.
0: Okay, gang, here we are back again. Steve Simpson on the Awesomers.com podcast, episode number 68. And uh, just pop on over to com slash 68 if you want to see the bits and pieces of this particular episode. Now, axiom number 20 is uh, something, again, I learned a long time ago. And it, the axiom says, it will never work the first time. Now, This is uh, a close relative to axiom 21, which we'll talk about in a minute, but uh, it will never work the first time. So I learned this in probably seventh or eighth grade when I took my first computer programming class. Now, uh, although I'm going to date myself, this is probably in the early eighties, 1981, 1982, I took a computer programming class uh, because my little brain at the time said, I think computers are going to be big in the future. And uh, you know uh, that that's one one call I got right. So as a kid in junior high, also called middle school, I think in some places, they the teacher one of the first things he told us I forget his name, but he's a brilliant teacher and taught me an awful lot. Uh, and he said, uh, you know, to his students, "Hey, just so you know, it will never work the first time when you're when you're making a computer program." He just he just told us it will never work the first time trying to set our expectations, trying to help us understand that, you know, part of programming computers is to expect errors and expect it to break and expect it not to work. And I swear that from the moment he said that to right up until about 10 minutes ago, I've tried to break that that rule every single time, that axiom of it will never work the first time. I've tried to prove him wrong. It might have been Mr. Taylor. I don't remember but I've tried to prove Mr. Taylor, if that was his name wrong, for decades, and he's still right. And so what does this mean to you? If you can really understand that it will never work the first time, that gives you a little bit of uh, permission to relax and to be patient. So what do I mean by it'll never work the first time? If you're not programming computers, you might say, "Ah, that's irrelevant to me. But I would submit that your first product probably won't be some giant home run. Well, if you're developing your own brand and you're, you're launching a your first product probably won't be just a walk off home run on your first time at bat. Unlikely that's going to happen. Are there examples and anecdotes where it's happened? Yeah, there's a couple out there. Uh, but by and large, it's never going to work the first time. And I suspect even in those stories of where somebody launched a product and we now know them to be successful and, and, uh, have a robust business. There's probably some iterations inside of that product or that launch that did not, in fact, work the very first time that took all of that little incremental and iterative uh, change to make the progress that I've described in the prior axioms. What's my point? From the outside, we may look at stuff and we go, gosh, man, that person, they are so smart. She knocked it out of the ballpark and I just wish I could be like her. And I'll tell you, no matter how successful somebody is, there's so much more to what went into their success than what we can see on the outside. I, I can guarantee you, you know, the first time you run a Facebook ad, it ain't, it's not going to work. The first time you, you try to put uh, a website together, it's not going to work. The first time you make a, a webinar uh, funnel, it's not going to work. Right, and just fill in the blank. It will never work the first time. Now, somebody could say to you now, Well, gosh, I I made an email just yesterday and it it did great. All my metrics, all my performance, it was just wonderful. And it's like, all right, fine. Was that your first email? Well, no, no. I do an email, you know, every week or every day or whatever. It's like, all right, well that wasn't your first one then. Give me a break. The point is when you're when you're embarking on something new don't expect that it'll work the first time. Why, why would you? That's, it's a little arrogant to assume that uh, in one hand, but worse than the, the ego factor is the patience and the impatience and the frustration that goes along with it. There's anxiety that can happen if you set your expectations improperly. So just trust me, it'll never work the first time. All right, and as I said, a close cousin to axiom number 20 is actually number 21, which says it will always cost more and take longer. And I can tell you, uh, this one needs to be said again and again. So whether you're developing software, whether you're developing a new product, whether you are making a uh, systems and procedures document, whether you're trying to hire somebody, it's almost always going to cost you more than you expected and take longer than you expected. And I could tell you, even after years of experience, in my case, decades of experience, we still often will kind of under budget what something, what an effort will take and how fast it will get traction. It's not because we're uh, stupid or incompetent, uh, although I wouldn't rule that out, it's it's just because when we first see the problem and when we first tread into that that new pool of opportunity, we don't know where all, you know, we don't know how deep it is. We don't know where all the sharks are. And so it's only as we wade farther and farther into that pool do we start to understand, oh, I didn't know this. I didn't anticipate this, and now it's going to cost a little bit more time and a little bit more money. And, you know, we can't anticipate everything. We literally do not know what we do not know. And when you embark upon some new project or mission or product or business, just expect that it's going to take more time and it's going to cost you more money. So don't put all your eggs right on the first, you know, basket. Uh, a lot of people are surprised after they they take a, a training course and learn how to sell on Amazon that. You know, that was an investment and that was a good investment if you got, a you know, the right kind of course. Uh, there's a plenty of slime ball sellers out there, but there's definitely some great sellers out there of wonderful courses to help you on Amazon and other places as well. If you get a good one, that investment's worth it. Your time will be greatly rewarded from it. But... It's still going to cost you more and take longer because you've got to go find some inventory. You've got to go, you know, figure out how to solve the supply chain problem and shipping, and you know, how do I get a UPC code? All, all of those little tiny details that you may not have uh, contemplated when you first bought the training course, and that's okay. That's my point. It's okay, and if you again set your own expectations that things will almost always, in in my case, I say very clearly, it will always cost more and take longer. And I stand by that. If you know that going in, that no matter what budget you put, no matter what effort you expect, it probably is going to be a little variance from that. Then I think your happiness factor and your, I don't know, your own tolerance of incremental progress will be easier to uh, swallow. You know, you'll, you'll, respect and understand the people that are working with you uh, because you know that it's going to be a, you know cost more and take longer that doesn't mean by the way that i take the sense of urgency people should have and i say oh don't have any urgency because it's always going to cost more and take longer the axiom 21 is a cautionary tale not a permission to just uh be you know lackadaisical about how you approach stuff If you know it's going to cost more and take longer, you'll be a little more patient, but you probably should increase your urgency and really increase your attention to whatever that initiative may be. So it it, it may seem, again, subtle, some of the differences between these, but believe me, each of these, to me, have their own place and their own reason why they live. Okay, axiom number 22, and this is a, a very important one. It says, embrace the law of parsimony. Now, a lot of people don't know what parsimony means. And I kind of hack my own definition of it. Uh, but parsimony is a close uh, relative or a, a component of what's known also as Occam's razor. And the, the quickest general definition of it is the most obvious solution or the most simple solution is probably the right solution. So what does this tell us? If if we look at Occam's razor or the law of parsimony, we should assume that when we're trying to solve a problem, the most simple explanation, okay, without requiring a whole bunch of, you know, if then statements, the simplest explanation is probably the correct explanation. And what that helps us do is stop trying to look for crazy coincidences or weird complexity where it doesn't really exist. Just go with the simple answer. And this, this often follows where your gut instinct goes. When you are trying to solve a problem, if you have to look at 100 different things, but really your gut is telling you and the obvious answer is right in front of you, it just seems too simple, that's still probably the right answer. That law of parsimony, which by the way, I tweak to, to also mean doing more with less. That's uh, another component of that. We, and that's a a different axiom, doing more with less. In this case, it's all about trying to define what the simplest answer is, right, and assume or prove that it's the correct answer instead of overcomplicating it and try to come up with a bunch of dependencies and a bunch of reasons why, well, this person did that and then that happened and then this other thing happened and, and that's why we are where we are. It's like, if your product isn't selling, start with the most obvious. Is it a good product? Okay, great. It's a great product. You've tested it. You feel good about it. Um, Are you getting any impressions on the website uh, or on Amazon or wherever you're selling it? No, I'm not getting any impressions. All right, well, how about some marketing then? Obvious answer is you're not doing anything to generate awareness. Let's say you got a bunch of awareness, good product, bunch of impressions on that product page, wherever it may be, uh, but you're not getting sales. So then you have to ask yourself, you know, why isn't it converting? Do I have good copy? Do I have good photos, right? You just go through all those basic things. And again, I want to warn you against the danger of assuming that these axioms are just, ah, they're too obvious. I could just ignore these or they're trite. Ah, Everybody knows the simple answer is the, the correct answer. The law of parsimony and Occam's razor, for that matter, are very, very important concepts, not just in business but in, in science and in many other areas of life. <laughs> when, when your kids don't come home on time uh, and they have all these reasons why you know uh, a barrel of uh, monkeys uh, you know was delaying them and they have all these complicated reasons, the reason is much more simple than that. Any parent would know this. Uh, if you have a staff member who is showing up late, Uh, and they give you a whole, you know, series of different reasons why they have a problem. The answer is, you know, they're probably just not that into the job. Uh, I had a person who I really trusted and, and she had worked for me before. Uh, and this was a couple years back, but you know, she would just disappear for long periods of time. And every time there was a whole big rigmarole that went with the, the absence and, you know, after a number of these absences, because I was very patient because I never expected this behavior from her, I, I finally just said, gosh, it's, you know, it, it sure worked in the past and I still love you and respect you, but uh, I have to say it's not working now. So uh, that's it for us. And that was after, you know, clear communication and warnings and so forth. But the, the answer truly was the most obvious answer. She just wasn't into the job. And when we made it easy enough for her to just not show up and accomplish her objectives without real repercussions or consequences, she just kept doing it. And, you know, that's just, you know, I was probably being a little too um, accepting or a little too forgiving. And, uh, you know, that probably should have been cut off earlier. So the most obvious answer, the most easy answer is probably the right answer. So don't overthink stuff. Just embrace that law of parsimony and, and dig right into what Occam's razor really means. And you guys can go Google these things, the law of parsimony or Occam's razor. Same basic premise. Um, and uh, something that I think is really, really important for you. Okay, gang, uh, this has been, again, uh, com episode number 68. And all you have to do is go to Osmers dot com slash 68 and this is actually part two of the series and uh despite what it may show on your screen this is part two and uh i hope that these axioms are instructive for you i hope they are valuable to you they definitely uh help mold kind of my philosophies my, uh, and my career and businesses and if if we do get some feedback on these we can probably break some of these, um, if not all of these, into a deeper dive and share some stories on how each of them have manifested themselves in our, in our careers and businesses and what we did about those problems. And sometimes the stories are even more easy to identify with than just kind of my broad explanation. So I hope this was instructive. As always, we appreciate you listening and sharing this with somebody you care about and, uh, and, and reviewing us as well. So we're going to go to a quick break, and then we'll be right back after this.
1: Hey, Amazon Marketplace professionals, congratulations on your success to date. Your creativity, strategic vision, problem-solving, and discipline have allowed you to build your own e-commerce business. Wouldn't it be great if you had more time to focus on the things that truly drive the sales and growth of your company? Instead of getting lost in a dozen different services and countless spreadsheets, what if there was one system that connected to your Amazon account and automatically gave you the information that you needed to make great decisions and really impact your business? Parsimony ERP can do that. Parsimony is the business operating system for your marketplace business. With Parsimony, you get true double-entry bookkeeping, easy financial statements, full customer service tools, and item-by-item profitability, along with project and task management, and more features are being added all the time. Learn more at parsimony.com. That's parsimony,
0: P-A-R-S-I-M-O-N-Y.com. Parsimony.com. We've got that.
1: You're listening to The Awesomers Podcast.
0: Well, we've done it again, everybody. We have another episode of The Awesomers Podcast ready for the world. Thank you for joining us, and we hope that you've enjoyed our program today. Now's a good time to take a moment to subscribe, like, and share this podcast. Heck, you could even leave a, a review if you wanted. Awesomers around you will appreciate your help. It's only with your participation and sharing that we'll be able to achieve our goals. Our success is literally in your hands. Thank you again for joining us. We are at your service. Find out more about me, Steve Simonson, our guest team, and all the other Awesomers involved at awesomers.com. Thank you again. dot com